Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Dickie Harrison, and I'll be your host today. We would like to say thank you for the support of the Texas Education Agency for this episode. In a recent webinar, I had the opportunity to chat with Nanette Pig and Lori Phipps on some very important topics, and today's podcast visits that conversation. We have two wonderful presenters with us here today. First, we have Lori Phibbs. She is the chief of the Department of the Air Force Liaison Program Division at HQ Air Force Services Center at the Headquarters Air Force Installation, Mission Support Center, and Joint Base San Antonio. She is a wealth of knowledge, and as you can see, really helps support so many of our military-connected families across tens of thousands of schools. And then we have Nanette Pig. She has been a school liaison officer for Fort Cavazos and is now the Installation Management Command in San Antonio. And your current role is you are the school program manager and you have that operational oversight over the Army School Liaison Officer Program. So thank you so much for being here today. And we're excited for us to talk about what is MSI and Impact Aid. And so first we're going to start with what is the military student identifier? It's that MSI that we all hear about. And a lot of times, you know, I know for many, many years, I didn't know what it was myself. Thanks, Nikki, for having us. Um, it's a pleasure being here with you guys today. So let's talk a little bit about the MSI, the military student identifier. It's a critical data point that was established under the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA, as most of us know it, in 2015. It was signed into law, and it mandates that all public schools collect data on active duty military school-aged children in grades K through 12. Prior to that law, there was really no federal requirement to identify military-connected students, so that resulted in unknown educational outcomes for highly mobile student population. And we know from, you know, working with military connected kids or being in the military that our kids face those unique challenges, such as disruptive learning and social emotional struggles due to the frequent relocations. So again, being able to do targeted specific needs is critical for our educators. So in many states, our students are identified as at risk as they are a vulnerable segment of a population. So due to the impact of the moves that we talked about, the deployments and the military lifestyle in general, it puts our students in a greater risk for uneven and inconsistent education. So before ESA came into play, there was about 20 states that uh, had some form of military student identifier, but there was really an inconsistency in definitions and information sharing. So when the law was passed, this helped to address these inconsistencies and provided a standardized data point to track and support our military-connected students. And it's so very important for our educators to understand about their unique needs and determining the necessary support for our students, as with every student. That in turn makes it a, a critical tool to be able to collect and standardize that data addressing those educational disparities, ensuring tailored support for our unique student population. So if it's implemented appropriately, 
it will be able to provide data to not only our educators, but to military leaders, our elected officials at all levels of the government to understand our military connected students, how they're performing in school, adjusting the program. We can adjust programs, direct resources, adopt strategies. So it serves more than what you really think it serves, right? And in some aspects. Thank you for that. And I think that's really important as someone who grew up a military child many, many, many years ago before all of these amazing resources. And MSEC didn't exist when I was a military kid. So I think it's so important that we have the MSI because we need to be able to identify who those kids are, right? You can't support if you can't identify. And so I think that is the beauty of what I believe the MSI does. So what's the definition of a military-connected student within the Every Student Succeeds ESSA? Because I think that's really important to know, like, how do we define what's military-connected? Definitely. It was defined to include students with a parent who is a member of the Army Navy, Air Force, Space Force, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard on active duty to include full-time National Guard reserve on Title X orders. So again, that is how it's defined in the ESA Act. So again, if there's any questions, then, you know, I would say reach out to a school liaison in the local area to be able to find out if there's any alternate definitions that may be driven at a state level versus at the federal level with the Act. Okay, so that's good to know with the active duty part, because I think sometimes that's a question that, that individuals have is, are we including some um, of the other components like the National Guard and the reserve components? But you said, you know, if they're on those Title 10 orders, that's what's important to know. So another question that I know that I have received, and especially since I am now a military spouse of a veteran, a retired service member, what about students of veterans or and or retirees? So the MSI originally, as it rolled out with ESA, did not cover veterans and retirees. However, again, as with anything in the education world, the federal government set the platform and now the states have the ability to include those subsets in their data collection. And so we have several states that do include veterans, retirees, and, and take it to a different level for that data. But majority of our states do not include the veterans and retirees. So again, I'm going to circle back to how I ended the other one with reach out to your school liaison if there's any questions in your state as to what your state is actually covering um, when recording in the MSI. I think that's great to know that it seems to be state specific and for you know, individuals to reach out to those school liaisons. I know I reside in Texas, in El Paso, Texas, and they do capture the children of retirees and veterans. So when I'm doing that online registration yep. at the beginning of the year, it's one of the questions that was asked. And so as a now recent, you know, my kids are no longer those active duty military kids, they are still being identified. So I feel like that's really nice that you have some states that are doing that. So yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, to add into that, Nikki, reality is if that's something that the state is willing to advocate for, 
then that's, you know, that's something that is definitely something to be able to be looked at. It's just advocating at the right level. And I didn't know, Nanette, if you had anything to add. I think Lori's doing an awesome job. She's killing it. So absolutely. One of the things that Lori and I do best is ping off of each other. So <laughs> that thank you. Fantastic. So Okay, so here's our, our next big question. So we, we've talked about it's important to identify who these military-connected children are. How does the school collect that information, that MSI? So for the, the procedure for gathering that MSI data, it can differ from state to state, from school district to school district, right? Generally, schools obtain this information through their enrollment forms or uh, other administrative procedures that are in place which parents or guardians actually disclose the information about their military affiliation. It's usually a very easy, painless process, but sometimes we don't understand why it's being asked. And so we're a little bit hesitant depending on our career field or what, you know, what we do from a military perspective. Um, so it's important that we understand what that data is for and why they're asking it. And I'm glad that you highlighted the why, because when we get later to talking about impact aid, I think that's really important as someone who for many, many years, you know, I've got, you know, two kids and trying to figure out why are you asking me the question? I think as military connected families, we're always on high alert. You know, we're, always, we're there's always upset. Right. Like we're always like, why are you asking what you're asking? So I think I'm glad that you said the why is really important because I think parents need to know that. I think that's one of the most important things for families to understand is the why, because, you know, we can say this is important. We can say that it's, you know, resources tied to it. But I think for families to just understand that this is a benefit, that this is going to help school districts, it's going to help even the military services to be able to identify and target needs. If we start seeing trends that say, you know, these kids are really struggling in this area, this is a way that we can identify and target those resources to help those kids. So it's so critical to get this information gathered. So we really appreciate families being willing to share that connectivity and know that it's not something that we're gonna publicize. We're not gonna say, oh, did you know that there's 15 kids that live in that neighborhood? Which is a great lead into the next question, which is, you know, what does the school use the MSI data for? Because I think that is a concern. Are you targeting, you know, I don't want my child targeted or singled out, you know? And so what what's the data used for? So it plays such a vital role in informing our educators, resource allocation practices. It could uh, encompassing academic and non-academic service areas. It allows us to provide that targeted support services and ensuring that our educators are well informed about the challenges that are faced by our military connected students. Because the states are obligated to utilize this data in a manner that tangibly enhances the education experience and learning environment for our students. The data is linked to programs with proven track records of addressing the unique educational needs. You know, it allows us, the teachers, the counselors, the other support staff to ease transitions, encourage participation, reduce anxiety, 
uh, and better really prepare military connected students for life after school, enabling that ability, the tracking of that critical information, attendance, you know, academic progress, graduation rates, all of that goes into like Nanette was just talking about, you know, it allows us as well from the military perspective, as well as the schools and districts that can access this data to make that informed policy and program decisions tailored very specifically, not only to our unique military connected students, but to that community, right? It drives things in that community. And states can collaborate with the Department of Defense in developing policies and initiatives that are focused on the education of our military-connected kids. And a lot of times what folks don't realize is, yes, we talk about the military-connected student a lot because that's what our job is. But everything we do enhances not only a military-connected student, but every student in that community in one aspect or another. And that can be anything from grants to, uh, you know, op just opportunities that, that are there in that community. So it, it's used for quite a bit, but it's a, an important data point. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about like the resources, identifying what the needs are. And we at MSEC always say the same thing. Our mission is to support the military connected child. But we know our military connected children are in schools with their civilian counterparts and both benefit from the connection, the relationship between the two. And so whether it's grants, programs, services, I know here in the local area, some of the school districts participate in the partners in education. So they have units that are assigned, you know, to the different schools and they come in and they volunteer and they're supporting all of the kids in the school. And so I think it's important to, to know it really is a benefit for everyone. Okay, so can a parent or guardian not provide the requested information for the MSI? Absolutely. They may decline to respond. It's a voluntary question. It's voluntary release. At any point in time, it's important for parents to understand that no time should they be mandated to verify their military status or provide additional documentation. There's only really one time that it may come up, and that is when they are verifying like state funding pre-K enrollment or MIC-3 benefits, like if they're being deployed to a combat zone. Those are the times in which a school district may ask to verify the military connection. I will say this again copies of ID cards should not be happening at any time. So yes, the answer to your question is no, they do not have to provide the requested information. It is totally optional. I'm so glad that you said copies of the ID cards are not, I remember a time many, many years ago, oh, make a copy of your ID and you know, so um, I'm glad that you say that because that's really good to know. One of the other things I was thinking about when we were talking about MSI is do you think the best time to capture that information is during the online enrollment or the registration process for a school? I, I think so, because reality is, is everyone has to enroll, right? And so depending on the states and, and their enrollment processes, if it's an online enrollment process or in person, that's where you have that one-on-one -on -one validation that, yes, we are military connected. 
everyone has to come through those doors to choose their classes or whatever or, you know, register. But no, I that's where I would say is a best practice to do it in the enrollment paperwork packet, online registration, whatever that looks like for that school district. That's good to know, because I think that helps, especially for some of our professionals or educators, you know, if they're having a difficult time capturing the data, where can they put that? And as a parent, I will agree with you that I think it's in the enrollment. <laughs> I think this is a great opportunity for collaboration too with your school liaison. If you are having families that have concerns about disclosing that, you know, utilize your school liaison officer to inform families to help diffuse those concerns that families may have about identifying. Um, whether it's you bringing your school liaison in to talk, you know, if you have uh, opportunity for open, you know, open house to just share about some of those things about why this data is important. And if it's coming from that school liaison who is representing the installation or base that is in their community, it might help to allay some of those fears that those families may have. I think that's a great recommendation or suggestion to bring them in and just, you know, have them talk with the families and with the, you know, administrators and the educators as well, because sometimes they don't know what they don't know either. Absolutely. And Nikki, I think this will transfer right into Nanette's piece talking about impact aid. Most states, when they're registering, they have developed a code, right, for the military connected student. So as they're registering and annotating that code, that's already in the system, right? So when they go to run the proposal for the impact aid forms that, you know, you're going to talk about, it's already captured. It's a starting point for that and to understand. And it's just so critical for our school districts to understand who their military connected students are uh, for so many different reasons, anywhere from, again, policies and programs, but also for crisis action right? If there is a situation happening at the school, we're going to end up being a part of that crisis action team. And so again, it's it's knowing where our kids are. That is really good to know. And I know we talked a little bit earlier about each state captures the MSI for retirees or ret veterans a little bit differently. And it's really up to that state if they choose to capture that information. Correct. I will say I'm very impressed with Texas. I will live in here for a year, but I'm pretty impressed with what they're doing in support of the families, at least here. So I'm a, I'm a little biased. So let's move into Impact 8, because I think this is the one that when my oldest, who's now a senior, was in kindergarten, and I kept getting the, they kept shoving this form in my face, telling me to fill this form out, and I kept throwing it away. I know, I know, don't judge. It, you were one of those, right? I was one of those. I was the person throwing it away. I didn't understand, right? What it was, what it, its purpose. I think this is one's really important. So what is the federal impact aid? You know, a federal impact aid is, is one of those mysteries for so many of our parents. I too was a parent who was not real sure about filling out that form and, you know, giving all of that information that they wanted as a military spouse. So, but basically the best thing to understand about the federal impact aid program is that it provides the reimbursement to school districts who have concentrations of children residing either on the installation or other federal properties, and even those who live off of the installation, if they are employed 
by the installation, by the federal property, but they don't live on the installation because we know only about 25% of our families live on the installation. That other 75 is out there in the community. This program was set up to allow school districts to receive reimbursement for the education of children who reside on those military installations. It was signed into law back in 1950 and expanded to include Indian lands and low-rent housing and other federal properties, prisons, things like that. Impact Aid was fully funded until 1970 when that funding was cut, and now it's currently only funded at 60% of the need. So it's basically the government paying their taxes is how I like to look at it. That's a great explanation of it and definition of what the impact date is. That's, I mean, really great. And I like that. I've never heard it's the government paying its taxes, but I, I'm going to write that one down. That's, that's really good. So maybe tell us a little bit about why is it important and who needs to complete the form? So for the parent that gets you know, the form, do we need to complete it, right? I mean, that's ideally the answer. <laughs> that's the ideal answer. I would say, you know, think about it this way. Public schools are funded in a large part by local tax revenue. This revenue is primarily a combination of local property taxes on homes and businesses and other local fees, right? So school districts serving military installations are at a fiscal burden because the federal government is exempt from paying property taxes on the properties they own. So the presence of federal property impacts school districts in two ways. First of all, it lowers that tax revenue. And secondly, projects and activities related to that federal property increase the numbers of kids in the community, right? So we've got an installation. Take your example of living there in El Paso. That installation of Fort Bliss definitely impacts that community by having lots and lots of military children, lots and lots of federal employees who are there bringing their children and increasing the number of children that that school district has to support, but they get no more tax dollars. Now, for those who live off of the installation, they're either renting a house or they're buying a house and paying taxes. But those who live on the installation, there's zero tax dollars coming in there. So Congress enacted the Federal Impact Aid Program to ensure that school districts and the students and the taxpayers in the communities are not at an educational disadvantage. And I think your second question was who needs to complete the form, right? So, okay, so we've got these forms that are going out. Who needs to fill them out? Basically, it's anybody who lives or works on military installation. That can be active duty. That can be your civilian employees. That could be your contractors. Even our contractors who are there building our houses or building the facilities on the installation should fill out that form and say, hey, you know what? On this survey date, I was working on that installation. And also, like I said, to a lesser extent, low rent housing. So even if you're living in the community and you qualify for some low rent housing, fill that form out and on Indian lands too. So those are the people who need to complete that form. I am so glad that you clarified that. I think for a long time, I just thought, oh, when you're active duty, get the form, you know, at military, you fill it out. And then I didn't realize there was all these other categories. Like I said, my, my husband's retired but he still works on the installation. 
And I was like, why did you keep emailing me about this for? I didn't understand that at first. So I think that was so important for you to say who needs to fill the form out. I agree. It's so important. I, I will say that, you know, I worked here in a headquarters building, you know, with lots of military people, lots of retired uh, military. And there was a gentleman that I had been working with to get some impact aid information published. And he was like asking me all these questions. And back in, I think it was in September when his child received their impact aid form, he came in the next day and he emailed me. He said, I did it. I filled out my form. I submitted my form. He was so excited that he had supported his child's school district and understood why it was important. And, and Nikki, if I can add in real quick, I think too, it's important to understand it also pertains to like the post office as well as we may have units that are in office buildings downtown or out in the community that aren't on a physical installation. And those are still government entities. So it's important that everybody, if you get a form, fill it out. It, it just can't hurt. That's really important to know. So who benefits from the impact aid? That's a really, really good question that a lot of parents ask. I think the important thing to remember is that this is critically important to our school districts. Every survey is significant because the amount of reimbursement they receive is based on the number of surveys that they receive, right? That funding that they receive goes directly into the general fund to pay for operating expenses such as curriculum, teacher's salaries, technology, facility improvement, they can utilize it the same way they use local tax funds to pay for these expenses. And remember, this is a reimbursement to the school district. These school districts don't receive this money until two to three years in the rears. They've already taught your child two or three years ago, and they're reimbursing them for that money that they spent to educate our children. And so it's really a reimbursement. So Every student benefits from this funding. It does go into the district's general fund. There are a couple of states that are a little bit outliers that it goes into the state's fund because they figure they've already funded the school districts and then it's just, you know, amortized out. But most of them, it goes to that particular district who has educated those children. There are a couple of exceptions to that. There is some specific DOD funding that is provided for children with special needs, with severe disabilities. That funding is tied directly to special education and can only be spent for that. But for the typical federal impact aid program, it goes into the general fund and the school district can use it as they see fit to reimburse. I think it's going to know who benefits, like it all students benefit. And as someone, if they participate in a PTA or a PTO, get to see behind the curtain a little bit. I learned some of those positions, you know, that are in the school system, that money's being used as part to of funding for those certain positions or programs. Or I know here in El Paso, there's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, the parent engagement liaisons and things like that, or military family liaisons as well. Some school districts have used it to fund full day pre-K programs where maybe they were only state funded for partial day. 
they have extended it to a full day program for military students so that they are able to utilize that, you know, in a pinpointed way. So absolutely. I mean, these dollars are used to really expand and make our programs richer. So now here's here's another, this may be a loaded question. Why do I have to complete this form every year? Why can't it just be like a blanket form and forever and ever? Well, that's another really great question and another one that we hear a lot. And and we also hear, well, I did that MSI. They already know I'm a military-connected student. Why do I have to do this form too? Well, the reason is, is because this is tied to federal law and the federal law requires that we do this survey on one day. You know, the school district picks a day of when they are going to do the survey and it's based on the attendance of that day. So it doesn't count that you were enrolled last year. It counts that on this day, on September 15th, whatever day they pick, that this child was enrolled and this child was either living on the installation or was living in the community and working on that federal property. So yes, unfortunately, we do have to do it every year. And that's why school districts throw pizza parties or ice cream Sunday parties to encourage children to bring those farms back, you know, and they try every kind of ploy that they can to beg parents to return those farms. So they are required by law to do it every year. Okay, good to know. So now let's talk about how this information is shared and protected because the next piece of it is someone would consider some information that they feel is very private that goes on that impact aid form. And so, you know, the next question is, you know, how is that information protected? How is it shared? Who's finding that information out? Is it publicized widely? I think that's important. Very important. And, you know, school districts consider privacy. This is a very important point to them. And so is it to the Department of Education. Any of your PII is protected at every level. The information that is collected on that parent-pupil survey or even the sole source forms that may be used is only for the purposes of submitting impact aid. They don't use it for anything else. Neither of these, either the MSI or this impact aid survey is transferable to any other program. The application is subject to the district student privacy policy, as well as federal and state laws protecting that privacy of students and families. If the federal impact aid program needs to review a survey, they do do some spot check surveys. Then the document is shared through a secured electronic exchange system that protects those contents that are in that. And once that review is done, those materials are destroyed. They aren't kept on another server. They're destroyed once that analysis is done. So I think they take the privacy very seriously. Yes. And I think it's good to note that for the parents and the families that are filling it out. I will say as a volunteer, one time I was like, oh, why can't I just know who all the military kids are? Can't you just give me a list and then I can do all these things? And then the school was like, no, actually, we can't give you a list. We can't share that information with you. So I do think schools take it very serious when it comes to privacy and confidentiality. And And I I will say, even with our MPLEX that are out there in our schools embedded, they can't even get a list of who the military children are. That is another federally funded program. You know, they just do not share that data. Parents must initiate and sign that permission form as well to identify their students. So very good point, Nikki. Yeah. And I think one that's great for our parents 
what can we do to support impact aid? Like what could a parent do and ensure that their school district gets the funding they deserve? I think that's kind of twofold. First of all, fill out your survey. <laughs> fill out your survey, get it turned in. And also tell your friends. You've heard all of these things about why we should do it. Tell your friends. Military spouses, all of us, we know we are the best network for sharing information that there is out there. We share everything. When we have families that are coming in, we share what we've learned. We share our stories. Share your story about what you learned about Impact Day today. And, you know, when somebody says, oh, I'm not going to turn in that form because they didn't do this for my child, tell them, let them know, you know what, the school district already paid to educate our child. We're just trying to reimburse them. We're just the government paying our taxes. So I just, I would encourage you to fill out your parent people survey. If you are an educator and you're listening and you're thinking, what can I do to help my school district get it? Talk to your school liaison officer about getting a letter from the commander of the installation supporting filling out your survey form. That's a really good way to attach that letter to your survey and have it go out to everybody. So that if there is anyone who's filling and looking at this form saying, why should I fill this out? They see a letter from either the commanding general or the admiral or anybody like that. They're going to look and say, oh, I should fill out this form. So that's a really great practice and a really great thing that you can connect with your school liaison and ask them for that support. That's a best practice. I know many of our Army installations already do that. I think, Lori, it's probably for the Air Force as well. But I think it's a really great, just don't come to them two weeks before your survey date and ask them for the letter. Start early because it's hard to get those signatures sometimes. So that would be my two recommendations. I think that's fantastic. And I think you're right. Talking about it, those of us that understand the significance behind it, you know, once I learned what it was, stopped throwing it in the trash, we were good for the next X number of years. But I think that's important, us talking about it to each other. I think command letter is great. I will tell you, my husband's a retired Marine. Many, many years ago, I think the commanding general did like a little, not like a commercial, but a little, I don't know little snippet thing on social media. And that was really nice too, you know, to see on the official website for the installation. Well, this was fantastic. Thank you both. I mean, so informative. Your knowledge is incredible. And I think this was great for our parents, educators, and professionals and important information. And I think a lot of times when you use your personal experience to kind of talk about a subject, I think it's really helpful. I'd like to thank Nanette and Lori for their time today. Military Student Identifier and Federal Impact Aid are so important to our military-connected families. Thanks for listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, and give today's show a five-star rating. And don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Texas Education Agency for supporting this episode and Consentus Media for audio mixing. I'm Nikki Harrison, and until next time, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Be kind.